which woman has had the most influence on your career? Okay, so this was a tough question um, because when I think about, you know, my teacher, my base teachers and mentors and, you know, people that have helped along in my career, maybe like a promoter that booked my band for big shows and festivals and they were all men. Welcome back to another episode of Backstage Chats with Women in Music. I'm your host, Thea Wood. I'm thrilled to announce that this is my first in-person chat since before COVID-19 hit the U.S. in 2020. So I'm backstage at Otis Supplies Parliament Room in Ferndale, Michigan. It's the venue where I first saw today's guest perform three months ago with Marcus Rizak's Shred is Dead. She's a prolific bassist whom Victor Wooten dubbed the Mistress of Groove. She founded the band Family Groove Company and Sunbeard, based in Chicago, and sits in with numerous bands on a regular basis. Some of those projects include Shred is Dead, Guitara Azul, John Graham and the Sway, Johnny V's Wildflowers, Mark Joseph Project, Terrapin Flyer, Big Sue, and Althea Grace. And I can't believe she has time for it, but she's also a music instructor. Yes, she even became a music instructor at the Musicians Institute in LA after winning the Outstanding Bass Player of the Year Award. She's the jam band scene's favorite Bootsy Levin, Words with Friends playing vegetarian bass player. Welcome to the show, Janice Wallen. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so great to have you here and in person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the stages are lit up. People are hopping back on. How does it feel after uh, our long blackout period? It feels great. You know, it's a little, I'm still a little cautious, but I'm enjoying the return to normalcy. So yeah, love it. The new normalcy. The new normalcy, right. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Now, I agree. And I'm so glad that you made it here safely. It's kind of a cold, rainy day, but you got here on a good, timely, safe manner, and you have your sidekick with you. Yeah, Bootsy's here. Bootsy. <laughs> the famous. Okay. Oh, the famous Bootsy. Yes. That is right. We know that. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Bootsy in a few minutes. It looks like Bootsy's uh, laying down and relaxing and getting into the uh, chat here. <laughs> she is. She is. So we're going to come back to her later on, but for right now... We're going to jump right in with the shakedown. And basically, that's a set of questions that we ask all of our special guests. So are you ready to shake it down? I'm ready. Bring it on. Awesome. Let's do it. Who was your first concert? Okay, so I'm. this is a two-part answer. My very first concert, and I used to be embarrassed to answer this question. Now I'm just going to own it. My very first concert, my parents took me. I can't remember how old I was, but at the most 10 years old, but I went to see Tiffany who was a big star in the 80s. <laughs> yes. And my parents took me and a bunch of my friends and we made t-shirts with puffy paint that said, I love Tiffany. <laughs> was she at the mall? She was actually not at a mall. So I was kind of disappointed about that. She was at a venue in uh, Harrisburg where I grew up. So that was my very first concert. My first concert that I attended without my parents was much cooler. It was uh, Bob Dylan and Santana yeah. on tour together. Wow. Yeah, so that that's a little better than Tiffany. But and still. How, how old were you on that one? I think I had just turned 16, so I was able to like drive myself to the show, and it was a big deal. And yeah, yeah. I remember it well. Great show. You know, that's actually pretty sophisticated taste for 16. Yeah. <laughs> right? I don't know where I got that. <laughs> oh, no, I did, hey, man, you can't start. That's a pretty high bar to set, actually. Yes. Well, <laughs> Tiffany was a low bar, but... <laughs> You worked your way up. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, next question. 
what was the first album you bought with your own money? Okay, I'm not 100% sure, but I have a very vivid memory of buying um, a, my first CD. So I think I had tapes before this, but my, the first CD I bought was Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood. And I remember these, this, back then the CDs came in this like cardboard box that was about twice as tall as the CD itself. And I remember opening that box and, you know, unwrapping the CD and being excited to rock out to Motley Crue. <laughs> okay, so I have a question for you about that box. Did you cut out the front of it and like tape it to your wall or do anything with those boxes? I don't remember. I don't think I did that, but that's a good idea. <laughs> that's what I used to do because I felt like it was shameful to just throw it away. Right. So I would cut that cover art out and pop it on my wall. Oh, nice. Yeah, kind of fun stuff. All right, next question. Which artist or band is in heavy rotation on your playlist right now? Uh, right now I'm listening to a lot of uh, Wolfpack and kind of a bunch of their offshoots. So like Corey Wong, Fearless Flyers. Um, I really love like tight funk music and I really like uh, just the thought they put into their arrangements and you know the rhythm section in that band it's so funky yeah, yeah. and i and i have a feeling that you like george clinton parliament i do of course you anyway. know bootsy collins being the bass player for there a bit. Yeah. you have it i had a feeling yeah. that bootsy was a namesake yes <laughs> okay moving on which woman has had the most influence on your career okay so this was a tough question um because when i think about you know, my teacher, my base teachers and mentors and, you know, people that have helped along in my career, maybe like a promoter that booked my band for big shows and festivals and they were all men. And, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that. So when I thought about a woman that affected my career, um, I think of my grandmother, who's no longer with us. Uh, when I first began on a career in music, uh, whenever I talked to my grandmother, the first thing she would say, even before hello, she would be, are you famous yet? <laughs> and so that kind of like drove me, even though I haven't heard her say that in so long, I, you know, that drives me to just do better and become more famous every and, day. <laughs> and how far along in your career did you get before she uh, passed on? Uh, so she passed on about five years ago, but the end of her life, she was less like communicative. So it's probably been about 10 years gone, you know, since... I've heard those words, so. Wow. But it's still, you know, are you famous yet? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm sure she's very proud. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, next one. If you could have dinner with any woman dead or alive, who would it be? Uh, well, I'm thinking of women musicians. So one of my favorites is uh, Bonnie Raitt. Love to have dinner with her. I love her vibe on stage. She's very, like, cool and calm and commanding and... I don't know. She's a great musician, great guitar player, great singer. I think she'd be fun to talk to over dinner. I think so, too. Yeah. Uh, how many times have you seen her play? I have not seen her live, me, ever. Me neither. What's up with that? I need to do I don't that. know. <laughs> Let's go. Bonnie, time to get on the road. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so here is our very last question, which is uh, very important. Like I say, last but not least, what is one life goal you'd like to accomplish before climbing that golden stairway to heaven? Uh, one place I've always wanted to play is Red Rocks in Colorado. So that's on my bucket list of places to perform. So if I can get there before I'm gone, that's 
I've done it. <laughs> okay, and I want to go to that show. All right, you're on the list. <laughs> okay, I'm on the list. All right, all right. As I say, you know, from your lips to God's ears, right? Right. <laughs> we'll make it happen, and I know it will. I know it will. Oh, thank I have total you. faith. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, well, uh, we survived the shakedown. All right. That was awesome. Thank you so much for your time. What we're going to do is we're going to come right back to a, a lot more questions because we have much to cover in a short amount of time. Um, but we'll be back right after this short message. Great. Did you know that in the wake of the pandemic, 25% of women in music don't know where their next dollar is coming from, and 33% report suffering in mental health crisis. Help artists connect with event hosts for paid gigs through Horizon Music's all-female musician marketplace. Donate today, and you could be helping the star of tomorrow. Visit backstagechats.com and be the change. Horizon Music would like to thank our friends at Tito's Handmade Vodka, Gibson Brands, and Linda Perry for supporting women in music. If your business would like to support our nonprofit, please email info at horizonmusic.org. That's info at H-E-R-I-Z-O-N music.org. Let's get back to the show. And we're back with Janice Wallen of Family Groove Company. And we are backstage, or should I say in the green room, for uh, Otis Supplies, the Parliament Room in Ferndale, Michigan. So all of this background noise that you might be catching on the mics, I mean, we're just staying true to the name of the podcast and getting excited about the fact that we are in person instead yes. of on Zencaster or Zoom <laughs> because my ears hurt. I'm kind of tired of putting earbuds yeah. in and doing those kind of interviews. Um, the first thing that I'd like to start off with is the fact that you have a new album out with a family group company, which we're just going to call FGC right now. Um, and it's called Through With Tomorrow. And I had my jaw kind of dropped. It was nine years in the making. <laughs> That's right. That's a long time. Yeah, well, we weren't working on it for the entire nine years. You know, we started the record and recorded, you know, rhythm tracks um, and then just worked on it kind of in little pieces. But sometimes like a year would go by where we did no work, like we were touring and busy and, uh, you know, oh, we need still need to do this guitar solo or we need to do these background vocals. And it just it just took a long time. It took a long time. Yeah. And did you, in a world today where it seems like bands are putting out uh, singles and EPs at breakneck speeds in order to be viral and keep attention on social media, did you all have any pressure to do anything like that? Uh, well, we really wanted to finish it at some point, um, but we didn't want to rush through it. And I'm, I'm kind of glad it, you know, took that long because... Every time we would come back, you know, to start working on it again, it's not like we were sick of it because we were working on it for months straight. You know, we would come back to add percussion or whatever we were adding and be like, oh, yeah, that's that's sounding fresh. You know, it wasn't we weren't overdoing it. So. Right. So it's almost like you get a, kind of a different perspective because you just let it sit for a little right. while. Exactly. Uh -huh. And we didn't have a you know, we didn't have a deadline. We didn't have a release show booked. It was um, I mean, in retrospect, maybe that made it take longer, but. I'm glad uh, we finished it up. That it worked that way. And uh, for the track that we're going to get ready to listen to here in a second, um, can you tell the audience what the name is and why you chose that particular song um, for us to be introduced to? Uh, that song's called Trying to Live Up. And it's the opening track on the album. And it starts out with kind of a cool uh, little bass riff and some drums. And the song has like a real upbeat 
vibe. I really like the the changes and I like the arrangement we ended up putting on the album, which is a little bit different than what we do live. Um, How is it different? Uh, the live version has like a pretty long guitar solo. Um, for studio version, we trimmed it up and um, put like a little breakdown section in the middle that I ended up really liking with, that I wish we did live. But um, yeah, I just like how it turned out. Kind sound. of like a more of a radio friendly format. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Instead of being eight minutes, it's about four minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. well, we're going to take just a moment here to listen to Trying to Live Up. from FGC, uh, you have also been working with Sunbeard and you've come out with a few releases from Sunbeard. Can you tell me what the different dynamics are between what you do with FGC and what you're doing with Sunbeard? Oh, wow. So the bands are pretty different music wise. Um, You know, Family Groove is definitely more funk. Um, Sunbeard is a little more like roots rock and... I mean, but the common thread is these guys are like my best friends in both bands, like great people. I love like spending time with them along with playing music with them. So both bands are really special to me. Uh, the Sunbeard albums are, they're just like a little bit looser. Like we approached the process in a way different way than Family Groove. Um, and, it, you know, it's different, but I really liked it. It's just less planned. We kind of go in the studio and it's not like we had everything mapped out the way Family Groove might have done. Um, so it just, it makes it a little more exciting. You don't kind of know, you don't know what's going to come out. <laughs> okay. That actually kind of leads to a question that I have that I think a lot of people who are not musicians would like to understand more. How do you, as someone who plays with so many bands, prepare for a show that could be one of hundreds of songs that are going to be played with a lot of improvisation. How do you plan for that kind of improv? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. I mean, a lot of the, you know, the music, I have an iPad that has charts in it. The iPad is pretty new for me. I was all analog, very old school with my charts up until a few years ago. Um, But that helps me, uh, you know, when we play a song, it just brings up the, the chord changes help jog my memory. If it's a band that I don't play with that often that I haven't like memorized all the music. Um, as for the improv part, I think that just comes with experience or playing with so many different people all the time. You just learn to listen 
Um, you learn to like read the dynamic of what's going on around you. And as a bass player, I, you know, my job is supporting the rest of the band and, you know, support, I'm no, I don't solo, like I'm not a, the lead player, but I'm in charge of like keeping the rhythm and the melody interlocked. You're almost like and, a project manager. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which I used to do. Yes. <laughs> or product you, manager. Yeah. It's like you're in control, but you're not in the spotlight. And that's exactly how I like to be. Right. Well, you did have a little bit of a spotlight session with Mr. Uh, Victor Wooten on stage. And yes. it was kind of like the <laughs> dueling basses kind of a situation. Uh, obviously, he's a fan, as in he gave you the nickname, the Mistress of Groove. I'm curious, um, when you jumped up on stage to play with him for the first time, how did that feel? Because, you know, Victor's kind of a big deal. Uh, yeah, this <laughs> is a very big deal. So that happened, uh, oh, I can't even remember what year... Um, but my band was playing at a festival. Family Groove was at a festival. And Victor had helped produce the festival. It's called Funk Festival. And the funk stands for Friends of Nature and Knowledge. And it was um, both a music festival and you could learn about um, just sort of surviving in nature. It was kind of a cool um, mix. And so we were playing our set. And Victor walks into the crowd and I see him sit down and watch the rest of the set. And I'm kind of freaking out. And he comes backstage after we're done and uh, to introduce himself and meet me. And he says, hey, I'm doing a, a little bass workshop on this other stage in 10 minutes. Do you want to come play? Ooh. And of course, I'm very excited, also very terrified. But you know, I had no time to really talk myself out of it. So I went over and played with him um, with a few other bassists and a drummer. and. Uh, it was just a great experience, and we've been friends ever since. So That's fantastic. Well, for our audience, we will, in our show notes, have links to your website so people can take a look at that video because it really is fun to watch. That Actually, that video is not the first time I had played with him. It was, you know, years down the road. We, we played together, um, you know, when we're at the same festival, we'll, we'll get together. So that wasn't that very first moment. I maybe looked a little more confident in the one that you <laughs> 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 Well, I'm yes, less terrified. So, yeah, I'm sure somewhere out there there's got to be video of the first time I played with him. But, Well, and so for the most part, I mean, like a lot of the women that I interview who are on the road with bands, they tend to be surrounded by men. Um, however, I know that you have played with a number of women, including Althea Grace, uh, Jimmy Lee Schultz, Holly Bowling, and Allie Krall. Uh, do you, you've been in the scene for a few decades, a couple of decades now. Do you see that women are gaining more opportunities in the scene than, let's say, 20 years ago? I'm not sure. I think I feel like they are. Uh, or maybe I'm just like noticing it more um, or I'm just more involved in the scene than I was in the beginning. Um, but, yeah, definitely women are, you know, making themselves known. A couple others that I really admire, um, like Jen Hartswick and Natalie Cressman from Trey Anastasio Band. Um yeah, there's a few others. And yeah, I got to give props. Got to give props. Hey, I was pretty excited to interview Denise Perrant, who is the drummer of Brown Eyed Women, the first all-female Grateful Dead tribute band. Yeah. So it to me, huge strides. Yeah, like, totally. That was a big deal for me when I first saw I got chills. I kind of got a little verklempt <laughs> yeah. over that. Um, I, and of course, you know, in talking about 
being on the road with the guys, I'm sure that as a female bass player, you probably have some interesting stories to tell. Yeah. Uh, one of which you shared online. Um, but I, I would like you to tell me a story that stands out, a story or two that really stands out for you. Is, oh, sure. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a lot of times I would just, the sound guy or the venue would just assume I'm, you know, I'm loading in with the guys. They think I'm someone's girlfriend or the merch girl, or I've had, you know, a sound guy explain to me how to like hook up my amp to the direct box, which is a, a way to plug bass in that I've done a gazillion times, but he took it upon himself to think I had never played a gig before and show me how to plug this in. Uh, and then you get, you know, comments from the fans. And um, this one show a few years ago I was playing uh, with a Tom Petty cover band that I play in. And it's a five-piece band. Um, the keyboard player and drummer are both around my age. And the two guitar players are much older. They're maybe 15 years older. So we're playing our show. It's set break. And a woman um, calls me over to her table and is very complimentary of the band, love the music. And then she says, so who do you belong to? The drummer or the keyboard player? You know, referring to the two guys that are my age. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> And she said, oh, I just assumed you were somebody's wife or girlfriend, <laughs> you know, and that's why I was allowed in the band. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It has nothing to do with merit. <laughs> right. And meanwhile, I guess her husband or whoever was sitting next to her just started scolding her for being old fashioned or her her comment. Uh, but, you know, I take it in stride. It's I, I think being a female musician has, you know, you get that side of it, but you also get the side where you're recognized just a little bit more because you're a woman. Mm -hmm. And so you take the good, you take the bad. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, and I think it just kind of shows that shift is happening and things are changing because clearly she was not used to seeing a female right. on stage with all the guys. Yeah. And um, so these notions kind of come up, but um, I know that with regard to traveling and um, staying in hotels or what have you, I mean, do you have any insights about how that might be different for a woman who's on the road with a bunch of guys? I mean, I've, I've talked to people who say that people kind of look down on it. Like, what are you doing? You know, staying in the same, you know, sleeping in the van with the guys or staying, you know, on the road with these folks. Right. Yeah. Luckily, you know, the bands that I spent, I've spent most of my time on the road with like family group company, they're my best friends and it's, they're very respectful and they're clean and they're easy to travel with. And so it was never an issue. And you know, honestly, most of my life, I've always kind of been more friends with guys than girls. So it's kind of where it feels where natural. Yeah. Yeah. feels natural. Yeah. I used to play football and baseball <laughs> everything with the guys. So I think I get where, right, where you're right. coming from on that one. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask about um, stories from the road, was there any time where you felt like I'm not sure I should be here or any kind of imposter syndrome or something where you felt like, am I in over my head? I don't think so. I usually feel pretty at home on stage and this is what I love to do. Um, so I don't think I've ever had, I've had moments where I'm a little nervous, like getting up there and, uh, you know, there's, I'll be at a big festival, there's a big crowd and you feel nervous, like waiting to get up there. But once you're up there, you know, it's all, you're good, you know? Yeah. You just um, get into your groove. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, pun intended. Right. Also, um, so 
in relation to that, do you think that having a formal music education helped you with that confidence and feeling good about getting on stage? And Yeah, definitely. So bef- before I went to music school, you know, I had played, um, you know, just locally around my town and in, in a couple bands, um, but nothing like super professional. And when I went to music school, um, the school at the school itself, you're on stage every day, multiple times a day in front of like your classmates or uh, just a concert that's put on. So they really prepare you for live playing, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then just having the knowledge to um, read and write music, it helps me like learn a bunch of tunes really quick for, you know, a pickup gig that I do. Um, so the education definitely helps. Definitely helps. And what would you, what advice would you give to um, aspiring musicians who are female and with regard to education and how to handle that part of their career? Uh, well, you know, it's kind of different now than it was back when I started, because now you can like go on YouTube and learn whatever you want, you know? Um, so I would say, you know, young musicians just pursue learning in whatever avenue you're able to, whether it's like a formal school or setting aside two hours a day to like go on YouTube and learn, um, techniques or tunes. I mean, one of the things that's helped me the most is just playing along with live music on, or even recorded music on YouTube. Um, and that's what I did for the whole pandemic every day for like, I would set aside at least an hour because I wasn't out playing live with people. I'm like, I'm going to play live with my computer. And just doing that helped me help my ear. Mm-hmm. It helped me feel like, you know, I'm watching a live concert and playing along with it. You get that feeling of playing live. I don't know that. Yeah. That really well, worked and, for and me. And you see that all the time on TikTok, Instagram. Uh, musicians are just plugging in and playing with music in the background and yeah. showing off what they can do. Uh, absolutely. And I think that that's a great way for, I don't know, I think it levels the playing field in yeah. a lot of ways, especially gender wise. Um, one of the things that, I would think that a, that a formal music education, such as the Musicians Institute or in LA or Berkeley College of Music, would offer is the business side of oh, music. Yeah. And um, what are your thoughts on that as far as building your career? Yeah, that's definitely a huge part. Like in Family Group Hi. Company, I was in charge of a lot, a lot of the business. Um, you know, the booking website. You know, kind of just the logistics, the tour managing, and that all rolls into, you know, playing the instrument. Um, and so, yeah, definitely get your feet wet in all parts of music life, mm-hmm. whether it's business or the playing or just overcoming stage fright or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. This is very important. <laughs> Our listeners would love to hear about your musical guilty pleasure slash alter ego that occasionally pops up on stage. (laughs) I wonder if you're talking about MC Ice. I could be. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a affinity for like 80s and 90s rap. For some reason, I remember all the lyrics to these rap tunes that I learned when I was a kid. And we would sort of jokingly, you know, play them in rehearsal. And we decided, let's bring out this on stage uh, to a show. So we did a, my family group company played a late night set 
at Summer Camp Music Festival, which is a festival we've played at for many years. This year was our 17th year. Um, and I performed the Humpty Dance, which was, I think, 90s digital underground. And it killed. <laughs> Even though I was up there without my bass on, I'm just rapping into a mic. Um, but since then, since it was success, success you know, we've, MC Ice has come out a few more times uh, over the years. And it's always fun to just sort of do something different and unexpected. Like, here's this white girl <laughs> rapping, you know, <laughs> Snoop Dogg or whatever it might have been. Um, so what's your favorite song to rap? Um, I think I like Bust a Move. That's uh, a good one. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good one. Yeah. Okay. All right. So everybody, next time that you go see a band that, because there could be one of many <laughs> right. that has Janice playing, um, be prepared for the alter ego uh, to pop out and yes. maybe shift gears a little bit for you. I love that. Um, now that kind of leads up to uh, my next, uh, I know this is a Janice obsession. <laughs> Bootsy. Yes. Let's talk about Bootsy. Who is Bootsy and why should we all love Bootsy? Uh, so Bootsy is my dog. She's actually, you can't see her because this is audio, but she's lying next to me on the couch as we do this interview. Um, she's on the road with me this week. Um, she is seven years old. I've had her for six years. Uh, she was a foster fail, meaning that I signed up to just foster her through the shelter just as a volunteer. Uh, and I ended up adopting her within a week because she was the best dog ever. So Aww. she is a uh, very sweet good girl. And, you know, one of the most common questions I get asked when I show up to a gig or anywhere is where's Bootsy or how's Bootsy? <laughs> so, even before someone says hello to me, they want to know where Bootsy is. Where so, Bootsy is. Okay. Yeah. So where does Bootsy hang out while you're on stage? Uh, so usually she's just back in the green room, uh, just taking a nap. She's got a very full napping schedule every day that she has to stick to. So. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> How old is Bootsy? Uh, seven. Oh, good age. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the puppy days are over. We're yeah. into the mature, I can right. handle it kind of thing. Yes. I love it. Uh, and now does Bootsy like bandanas? Yeah. She likes bandanas. <laughs> well, I couldn't come here empty handed. Oh, wow. So we have a backstage chats with women in music bandana. Oh, thank you. For Bootsy. And if you like it, you can wear it too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it is a wicking bandana. Oh, I love it. Which means it helps pull all of the sweat and griminess or off drool. of your skin. Or drool in this case. <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, my favorite thing is to roll it up with a little bit of crushed ice in it during the summer and wrap it around my neck and oh, tie very it nice. for like outdoor festivals and everything. Um, and then these are for you. They are some stickers backstage oh, chats. Oh, thank you. With women in music stickers that you can put on guitar cases or whatever. Um, and, and since we're talking about merchandise, I want people to know about your awesome t-shirt. Yes. So I have a t-shirt. It says, what would Janice do? And the t-shirt came about uh, early days of family group company. The fans just started yelling it out at shows for some reason. And uh, one of our fans, uh, Dan, suggested we put it on a shirt and said it would be a big seller. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a humble person and I don't like a lot of attention. Um, like I mentioned, um, like I like bass cause it's in the background. 
But I was like, why not? We'll make a little extra gas money to tour around the country. So we made the What Would Janice Do shirt, and it's like our top seller. Well, there you go. You just never know. <laughs> now, I'm waiting for the day when Janice comes out on stage with her Jesus sandals on. <laughs> <laughs> and her What Would Janice Do? Although I guess that I should wear that if I'm an audience, right? right? Yes, yes, that would be my thing. Well, I have to say, this has been a very lovely conversation. Thank you so much for taking time out before your show tonight at Otis Supply. And the Parliament Room, I guess, is the actual room's name uh, in Ferndale, Michigan. I would love to wrap up by hearing real quickly from you what advice you might have for an aspiring female musician, bassist in particular, if you feel so. Any parting words? Uh, I would say just pursue your dream if you want to and don't worry about norms, um, you know, that it's male-dominated. Um just who gives an F, you know, yeah. <laughs> just, just do what you do love. It. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I words to live by. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Uh, we love women like Janice Wallen because they remind us to be dreamers, rule breakers and rock stars. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Backstage Chats with Women in Music. Janice, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. And we'll see you all next time. It's a wrap. Backstage Chats with Women in Music is a production of Horizon Music Foundation, a nonprofit based in Austin, Texas. Giving credit where credit is due, we'd like to thank folks for their contributions to this episode, including Zhijiang Tong for the audio production and editing, Bianca Garcia and her social media team, including Kira Vasquez, Pamela Sierra, Victoria Artel, Sofia Valverde, and Christy Loach. And last but not least, Pond5 for our theme music. Your donations help make this podcast possible. Please visit horizonmusic.org to donate today. This podcast is the property of Horizon Music Foundation and is protected by copyright law. Use of this podcast is for personal and non-commercial purposes only. No other use of this production, including and without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing may be made without prior consent from the Horizon Music Foundation. Submit all requests to info at horizonmusic.org.